The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. Sometimes, when a movie franchise dies, a crow is sent to guide it back to the land of the living. But sometimes, when choosing what franchise to resurrect, the crow makes a horrible mistake. This is totally super. <laughs> wow, showing your hand a little early, I would say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. Um, So let's start out. Before we say anything, we're doing the Crow City of Angels this week. Next week, we're going to do something a little different from what we've normally done, uh, which is to talk about the Crow 3, which I saw, the Crow 4, which you saw, the, uh, the TV series, which neither one of us have seen. Um, and we're going to go from there. Uh, but here's the question I'm going to start off with, which is a question you posed to me. The Crow was our first true movie podca- podcast, I think. It was either Superman or The Crow. Because we started with, we uh, started with, um, we started with, uh, Dr. Horrible. And we did we Superman and The Crow. And I did- oh, gosh. I can't remember. It was either Super, I feel like we would have done Superman first. Yeah. Uh, but then, but The Crow was, if The Crow wasn't the first, it was definitely the second. Um, so, and I remember very distinctly, this was, that was way back at the beginning of the podcast where one of the questions that came up a lot back then was okay what does it mean to be a superhero because that was I what i was gonna ask you I, I was gonna ask you you asked me that question that's so funny that would come into your mind because that's what's in my head mm-hmm. do yeah is the crow a superhero in the first my, two right now the first two we're yeah. ignoring the third and the fourth right now for the first two mm-hmm. is the concept of the crow the much there have been multiple flashes there have been multiple batmen over the years um, mm-hmm. Is the crow a superhero? I stand my, by my initial uh, analysis, at least for, in my opinion, no. The crow is a supernatural revenant. Uh, like it is in that he can, he has a certain degree of invulnerability. Yes, I guess he has superpowers, but there needs to be more to the idea of a superhero than just having powers in the strictest sense. And uh, um, as as we will discover more as we talk about this, um, I did not necessarily feel that the first crow was a superhero and if the first crow wasn't a superhero then this one definitively was not so that's my take i'm gonna i'm gonna come out and say that the crow is a superhero more so made more so by the existence of this film ignoring the third and fourth one and why I say that is this, the, he is, is he super? Let's go over it. He has powers. The powers are well-defined, at least semi-well-defined in the first two movies in that he is able to see through the eye of the crow. He was able to uh, do a, a, basically a Vulcan mind meld and he heals Wolverine style no matter what happens to him. Um, he is unkillable for that reason. Uh, he wears a particular mask, in this case makeup, that is a defined mask. He has a defined look so that especially this time, and we'll talk about it, um, uh, where he has a certain face, a certain uh, like costume that he wears that if you didn't really pay attention to the details, you might think that it is the same person behind the mask each time. He goes It is and an iconic he, costume, I will grant you that. Um, he, uh, he fights bad guys, including super-powered, super-powered villainous bad guys, and by doing so, he by by doing so, he ends up saving not just himself, but but other people who would come under the bad guy's influence. How's the, how's the crow 
less of a superhero than the Punisher or Wolverine. Is Deadpool a superhero? Yes. Really? He's an antihero. He's an antihero. He started as a villain, but he is a, a villain who turns around and, and you know, he is, he is, I guess. Okay. So basically he's, I would ca- the, he's, I would ca- the- he's chaotic good to the point of being chaotic evil good, but like. There, there, there's a term for that, Justin, and it's called chaotic neutral, but that's, all right. that's a whole other discussion. Um, no, but he, but they, but he's not neutral. He wants sorry, to D&D. do the right thing, but he's inclined to, he wants to do the right thing um, overall, but he's say, okay, inclined so to Deadpool do the wrong na- thing in the. Deadpool now probably is a superhero. He certainly didn't start that way. I'd probably say, like, I, I would put the crow in the same category as say Deadpool, the Punisher, people like that. Look, I'm not what saying about Wolverine? That my um, vast difference there, vast difference um, in the sense that Wolverine started as part of the team and the team uh, of the X-Men team. Like may, you could make a case that Wolverine, like late 1800s Wolverine wasn't really very super heroic. Um, but when we first met Wolverine, yes, he was sort of the anti-hero of the bunch. He was the, he was the, the rebel, the, you know, the bad boy of the bunch. But at the end of the day, the team's focus was bettering humanity and the world as a whole. And he served that goal directly. Like he didn't just join the X-Men. So he was like, yeah, cause I want revenge on all those who have wronged me. Oh yeah. And I guess if we help the world, that's fine too. No, Wolverine signed on to Professor Xavier's vision, uh, from the get go. Um, the crow, look, I'm not saying that the crow doesn't kind of make the world a quote unquote better place by destroying the, uh, you know, by destroying the, the drug lords who, you know, rule Detroit or LA. Um, but that really isn't his, at no point in either film does he say, you know, the city's going to be better for me having, you know, the city's going to be a better place when I'm done. It's all about revenge. And the fact that good kind of comes out of that, um, that's why I make slightly different distinctions. And again, this all comes down to how you choose to define a superhero. If all it takes is to be a superhero is to have uh, supernatural powers, an iconic costume, and your actions in some way indirectly benefit others, then yes, the crow is a superhero. I don't, my definition of what a superhero is, is that you need to have a more direct motivation for altruism, which the crow does not have. All right, that's fair. Um, The other thing before we go any further, I want to ask you, you walked out of the crow, um, out of the podcast, basically saying that you you didn't really care for it. And I wonder, yeah. has has it grown in your estimation? When it came time to watch this, we were kind of like, ah, we're back into this. Like, was there a part of you that 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 was excited to revisit it? Or were you like, uh, no. There was no part of me that was excited to revisit it. Uh, okay, wow. There okay. was, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, the... That's fair, no, it's a okay. Lot, yeah, there was a, there was a lot that the second film did that made me appreciate the first film because at least when it was done in the first film, it was new. Like, watching the second film made me appreciate the thematic, uh, like the, the thematic world that the first film created. Um, it's still not a world I'd really care to spend that much time in, but it was, you know, your living proof that there, it was a world that was tremendously influential for some people. And I would never knock that. It's, it's just never been my cup of tea. I, I, of course, the first one is, remains in high estimation for me. Um, watching it with a critical eye, I did have some issues as we talked about, but I still kind of love it. And it's interesting. There are music cues from the first one that show up in this one. And when they hit, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah. And the fact that Sarah's in me- it and the, and the cat Gabriel is in it and and, and you know that there's some carryover from the first that the fact that this is the only one that seems to be a direct sequel to the first mm-hmm. one and that a, a main character from the first one is a main character in this one um mm-hmm. is is 
you know stuff that I like. Um, I think that this one, uh, you know, I, clearly I'm going to show my hand a little one, a little bit too. This one, su- whereas this may suffer for you in that you don't even want to be here. This suffers for me in that when I went to see it, I was so excited. <laughs> to go see this because I loved the first one and I understood that that Brandon Lee was dead and and he brought so much to the fir- to the first movie but I was like hey if the crow is a mantle that can be passed this is this could be an anthology so I could watch another the crow sure they could give me another the crow and I would I, I could get into that again, or they could give me a second crow, and that's the one that we follow from now on. Jason Voorhees style, right? He's Jason Voorhees mm-hmm. is not really in the first Friday the thirteenth, but then you follow him for the rest of them. Um yeah. so so yeah, I could get down with that. Um I'm not spoiling anything by saying I walked out of the theater thinking that's not what I wanted. Um, the question is, is, is it what I want now? And I mean, I have to watch this without remembering having seen the f- third one, which we are going to talk about next week mm-hmm. uh, and talk about this one on its own merits. Let's talk about it really briefly um, in terms of uh, where it stands. It cost $13 million to make. It made $17.9 million in the United States. The basic rule of thumb is that to, uh, is that in order to make your money back, you have to double uh, what you did last time. By comparison, the first crow cost $23 million and made $50 million and then infinitely more on merchandise and on video. But cost $23, made $50. This one, they decided to cut the budget. Um, they, they decided to cr- cut the budget by $6 million, made it for $17 million, or, or no, they made it, they cut the budget by $10 million, made it for twenty. million. Beat it for 13 it only made 17 so this movie lost a good amount of money for um for good old miramax films i'm always uncomfortable when i see a miramax films now. um uh we have um a movie that is somehow going to spawn two more sequels and a series despite being a, a financial disaster um it sits uh unhappily at 12 percent on rotten tomatoes um as opposed to uh the first crow which uh you you know, sits significantly higher. Uh, it is um, derided. Audience score of 40%. It is derided, this film. We're going to talk about whether or not it deserves it. Uh, can you tell me the plot of The Crow City yes. of Angels, please, sir? And I will start by saying this is beyond all shadow of a doubt the easiest plot I, synopsis I have had to write in the history of the Totally Super Podcast. So Interesting. Uh, yeah. All right. The Crow City of Angels. The film takes place in apocalyptic LA, which, much like apocalyptic Detroit in the first film, apparently has such bad pollution that you never see the sky, like ever. Mechanic Ash Corvin and his son Danny see a gang of thugs who work for local drug lord Judah Earl murder someone in an alley. To prevent witnesses, the gang captures Ash and his son, terrorize them, murderize them both, then throw them off a pier. Meanwhile, Sarah, the only character from the first film, now a grown woman and tattoo artist, has dreams about the crow, which lead her to the harbor on the night of All Saints Day. She finds Ash back from the dead and explains the power of the crow. She paints his face and he sets off on the path of revenge for those who killed him and his son. Over the course of the film, Ash kills the four gang members, who, like the four gang members in the first film, are cuckoo crazy and interesting, but slightly less so. And Ash does it in ways that are kind of thematic and interesting, like in the first film, but slightly less so. With a couple action sequences with fights that try to be interesting, like in the first film, but way less so. (laughs) There's a brief nod given to a potential burgeoning romance between Ash and Sarah, and by brief nod, I mean she looks at him meaningfully at one point, and he shouts, We can't do this! Ash's ultimate target is Judah Earl, a dark and mysterious drug lord. You know, 
like in the first film, who has the help of a mystical woman, who is mysterious and threatening, like the one in the first film, but, you know, less so. Judah, unlike the bad guy in the first film, unlike the bad guy in the first film, realizes that Ash's power is in the crow that follows him around all the time. He captures Sarah, uses her as bait to catch the crow, then kills it and drinks its blood. This robs Ash of most of his power and gives it to Judah. The final fight occurs at nighttime on El Dia de los Muertos, where Judah hangs Ash by his neck and whips him, surrounded by a crowd of masked partiers. Sarah, Sarah stabs Judah in the forehead, which doesn't take, but she gets stabbed herself in turn. Ash then impales Judah on a pipe, and as his last magical trick, summons a murder of crows that tear away at Judah until there's nothing left of him. Ash carries Sarah's body to the church and returns to the dead from whence he came. Fiend. Um, that's amazing. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually have to undo something that you said, though. I'm gonna, I, I don't ever like to contradict you, but the one time you said it wasn't like the first one, um, the mystical woman of the first one actually does tell them that the crow is the key to the power, and they do actually shoot the crow. Oh God, the that, was the one re- sh- that was the one. That was the one. That was the one redeeming feature this film had. Yeah, Tony. Tony Todd. That's funny. Shoots it and that's says funny. bye bye, birdie, right. and shoots the crow. Now, and that's you're right. Now yeah. that you mentioned that, I do remember that. Of course. Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. Yep. Sorry. Sorry for those of you who. Who, who think that this isn't anyway. Here's some things you might have thought would be interesting. Ash was almost played by John Bon Jovi. Um, more interesting things. Uh, interesting. The, uh, the, uh, the filmmakers disowned this film saying that, uh, saying that they made a different film and they turned it in. It was very different from The First Crow and that Miramax ordered the film be re-edited so it would resemble The First Crow. They were deliberately wanted to make it different. So like out of respect to Brandon Lee. And in, my, made in di- my research, I have found that the, uh, in my research it says uh like i think the imdb page or uh it was either that or the or the crow uh wiki uh says that the there were very alternate things in there that are in that apparently are kept in the novelization of this film so you know if you watch a bad movie and think i wonder if the book of the movie is any better this might be worth the read yeah it's it's evidently was going to be very different but they you know we got what we got we're here to review the movie that is out there so um so yeah, I think that, that the first thing that the film can be commended for upon watching the next two. Um and and so I'll commend it first in order I, I will I'll praise it in order to damn it. It does strive for a particular look that I'll give it. A very it orange it does. Day of the Dead. Um it's going for something visually that at times is very interesting. Um I mean this this film was very much thematically in the same world as the first film. I will give it that. Sure. The look of it is so different though. Um the fact that it is it, it is got it's so rich in colors and 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 it has it, it's doing what it's doing. I will applaud this film as we are about to go into two films. Say what you will about the third and fourth films, and we will talk about them. They are not visually arresting in kind of any way. Um, no. They 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 are made for substantially less money and substantially less time is spent trying to give them any kind of look. Um, and I will applaud this for being better than those and for trying something and for achieving what they were trying. So here's how I'm going to damn it. This film makes a very bad choice to look like it does. Um, the first thing that I love about the crow, the original crow, of which we must always, the, the, it stands in its shadow so much, 
is sort of that black and white palette, that dark, dank, you know, the movie could almost be black and white. The original Crow comic was a black and white comic. And this ends up losing so much of what I like, like the, the black and white face and the black costume. It works in that. So giving this guy a black costume that looks like the first one in all the orange, it loses immediately sort of that lovely gothic feel that the first one is able to give you. Um, and suddenly it feels, it feels very orange. It feels too orange. Do you feel, do you feel the difference? Do you feel the, the difference in look between the two? Does it matter to you? I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I didn't really, and granted it's been a while since I've seen the first one. Um, so I don't have that much recollection of it. To me, when I was watching this one, I was like, oh, this is the same look as the first one. Um, now that you're pointing out the difference in color palette, I get that. Um, but in terms of the, in terms of the hyper industrial Gothic, uh, you know, classic cover so low that the entire city could have been filmed on a soundstage um and probably the, was and probably was yeah the i saw more similarity to the cinematography and tone of the first film than i saw differences um now interesting with that in mind going back and re-watching i didn't have an eye necessarily for the color palette i just knew the first one felt dark um there was more blues and purples in the first one and this one was a little bit more you know there was a little bit more of that orange or there was more orange to it but it was still i mean I would have said both of these films capture the theme of hyper gothic. All right. All right. Yeah. I, I, I wondered how you, how would you feel about this? This here's the, the second thing between this one and the first that I want to ask you about okay. what the first, um, what the first and interject if you, if you feel the need, uh, what the first crow film had going for it for me was it's being grounded in reality in which these fantastical and bizarre things were happening. So Eric Draven seemed like a relatively normal guy. Guy. Um, there's a point in his flashbacks where he's with um, Shelly, the girlfriend, and the dinner catches on fire and puts his arm around her and goes to the restaurant and they kind of like cart away. And you get the sense that Eric and Shelly were normal people, just like Officer Albrecht was a normal person. And even Sarah, who was growing up on the street and was in this horrible situation, was at least like a normal human being into which you enter these hyper, these hyper real and bizarre street characters with the hyper real and bizarre street guy. And they, they are making everything bizarre. So even when all the other gangs join them at the end of the first crow, they're kind of normal. Like, hey, we're th- like, like we got machine guns. What do you want us to do? And then you have, you know, Michael Wincott going, I want to do this evil thing, demons, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's, you mm-hmm. get the sense that M- Michael Wincott's character and, and those four thugs were the weirdest people in the entire town. But the rest of the town was relatively just a, a bad part of town. And that's kind of all you really mm, get. I can from see that. that. This film does does not have a single character, especially, by the way, in the first crow, especially uh, Ernie Hudson, right, from Ghostbusters, his character, Officer mm. Albright, so essential to that film. Straight, straight to, up normal cop. Yeah. Um, and and so now you get this film and, you know, that this guy's relationship with his son is bizarre. It's just like everything with it. He His son is in the thing. I'm drawing the sun for you, daddy. Everything is bizarre with it. The guy is is strange and French. Sarah is is mm-hmm. bizarre. The people she works for is bizarre. All the bad guys are bizarre. The world itself is, is the Day of the Dead stuff is going on, I guess, all the time. It's always Day of the Dead now in, La- in Los Angeles. It's bizarre. Like everything about the entire film is bizarre. And I'm reminded of two films that I'm going to ask you about. And tell me what you think of this when it comes to sequelitis. Um, the two films I'm thinking about are 
tell me if you, have you seen the second Mortal Kombat film, Mortal Kombat Annihilation? No. Do you see the I first don't. Mortal Kombat film? I, I, I think I did. Yes. Yeah. So the, in the first Mortal Kombat film, it's all this fantastical stuff. But when they fight, the hits felt real and stuff, right? The choreography felt real. In the second one, somebody gets hit and they fly backward through three walls and, you know, burst through and they get up and they run. And when they jump, it's 70 feet in the air. And it's like it's by losing all sense of reality in that film. It it ruins it. It's one, one of the only films I've ever walked out of. Second movie. Have you ever seen Ace Ventura When Nature Calls? Yes. Yes, I have. And you've seen the first Ace Ventura. Mm-hmm. Which do you think is funnier in your opinion? Uh, the first one. The first one. Why? Uh, it was, I mean, it's been a long time. To, uh, I mean, part of it was the comedy was fresh. It was the, it was, it was a new thing. Um, I mean, if the element of comedy is surprise, then if you're expecting a particular comedy, then, uh, then it doesn't land as much. Uh, I think the only, one of the only comic sequels I felt that somehow managed to super, uh, to circumvent that was uh, the sequel to Austin Powers, which yes. very much deliberately leaned into, oh no, we are giving you exactly the same thing we did in the first, but it was so self-knowing that, you know, the whole joke, we're doing it, except this time it's called Zip It, like, uh, you know, Will Ferrell's character, you know, gets horribly mauled again, but it's because they were, it was so clear that they knew exactly what they were going for, and then from that, they were able to riff off of it and say, no, we're giving you exactly what we did the last time, but look, here's different variations of it. So it became it became sort of the joy of watching people knowing that they were riffing off established material, but watching how they would riff. Added to that, there was still new things added into it, like the you know the the addition of Fat Bastard, uh, who was a wonderful addition to the franchise. Um, the whereas with When Nature Calls, it I think where you're going with this is Ace Ventura was a wacky guy in a normal world. In When Nature Calls, the whole world went wacky. Is that what you're going for? Yeah, that's yeah. You see, in the, the what what I think makes the first Ace Ventura so funny is the cutaways to the people watching this guy and going, "What the hell?" It's this mm-hmm. guy in normal society is hilarious. It's the it's the because you know what it is. It's the Blues Brothers at the fancy French restaurant. You know what I mean? It's that it's it's mm. you have Ace walk into a world where he does not belong, and that he he walks to a fancy place and he does crazy or walks into a crime scene and does things that you're kind of like, "Oh my gosh, he's going to get in trouble for this." And that's the joke. That's the fun of mm-hmm. Ace Ventura. When you go to the, the a world where now everyone is huge and everyone is is trying to be as big as him, you get into it stops working. It's sort of like in, like we talked about Batman Forever when Tommy Lee Jones is trying to be as big as Jim Carrey. It detracts from the whole affair. Mm-hmm. And the problem with this is that there's a bar set in the world for what in the in the movie for what is normal in the world. And because the bar is so bizarre for what is normal in the world, the bizarreness of the crow and what's happening doesn't land as being problematic like no one is like oh my gosh you're back from the dead that's crazy no one's like that Mm, everyone's just like oh he's back i guess you know like it's 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 one of the big problems i have is yes it's repeating all the same beats it's offering it there is no fat bastard here there is no addition to the franchise i mean and and that's really my big thing i mean what you're what you're talking about um which is absolutely correct uh it's sort of i'm thinking of it it's like well what you're saying is not wrong at all however that that's not what struck me about what was bad about this film. It was like, okay, if this film was full of, you know, strong actors with good dialogue and characters with backstory and exciting fights, um, that is when I would, it would be at that point that I would stop and think, oh, you know what? This whole world has gone uber supernatural instead of having the dichotomy between the normal and the supernatural like in the first one. I think 
that was a misstep. Like, but in order to get to that point where I'm thinking that was a misstep, I need to, I, I'm still too focused on the fact that these actors are terrible. The dialogue is terrible. I have no interest in any of these characters. Like the, um, so what I'm saying is I completely agree with your point. I will admit I never even got to seeing that point just because I was so profoundly bored by everything else. See, I was feeling, and yes, there is a, there, there was a homework nature of doing this. We're going to talk about that too, why we're doing this. Um, I, let me just say it now. The reason we're doing this is that Arthur and I had a discussion. We're like, geez, we're doing all these movies we want to watch, which is going to make the last year of Totally Super really awful. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get to we're gonna get to okay it's time to do son of the mask this week like there's like we're not doing anything like we we gotta hit some of these two because they are part of the pantheon yeah. so well but and i so, think and i think the challenge for us in doing in doing uh podcasts on films that you know that either we don't like or just across the border are agreed to be not good is um there is no there is no merit I, I will put it out there. There is extremely little merit to a reviewer, uh, which we have essentially become for the purpose of this podcast. Um, there is very little merit to a reviewer saying just this is bad. Uh, there is very little merit to a reviewer saying this is bad. Oh, and let me come up with all the metaphorical creative ways I can use to describe it. Sure. Sadness. Yeah. Um, I mean, the number of reviewers I've seen out there who um, who offer no insight into the film other than or rather choose to offer insight into into look how catty I can be about the film. Um, I, I, quote, I have no interest Justin in that. Justin Timpain should never make another film, unquote. My favorite movie. <laughs> I should oh, make so, a t-shirt see, see, that meanwhile, says that. Meanwhile, see, so, somebody could have completely, someone could have gotten way more metaphorical than that, I think. Um, uh, but, uh, but the point being that if they had, it would have in no way benefited the artistic community. Um, sure. So why am I saying that? It's like, so if to me, it's like, okay, if we're just going to review a film to say that it's bad, there's literally no point to us to review the film. Um, and I want to be clear, so I'm I always, went what, in what, try, trying to give this film a chance. I really did. Mm -hmm. I sat down and said, is there a chance that that this is this is, this is better than I remember? Like, I'm older now. Yeah. Can I appreciate it for what it is? Um, mm -hmm. And so that being said, like, we're not going to get to Superman 4 and go, this is as good as Superman. Like, that's yeah. not going to happen. Um, well, I think so it we, comes we, down to the, it, it comes down to uh, talking about, okay, in this bad film, what were the moments that worked? And also, okay, for the moments that didn't work work what were ways in which it could have worked better um so let's ask that question then um mm. in this film were there moments that worked oh uh there were in a few individual things that jumped out at me i mean i i think that your analysis of the um what just like in comedy what makes the comedy work is the interplay between the uh the the normal and the ridiculous strangely enough in superheroes uh frequently what works is the interplay between the normal and the and the super uh and that's sort Certainly not to say that you can't have a working superhero film in which everything is super. I mean, shoot, look at Guardians of the Galaxy or Infinity Wars. Um, there is no normal in either of those films, uh, yet they managed to make it work. Um, but there is, I think there's a real gem that you've discovered there in, uh, for a lot of superhero films, you want to see what is it like to be super in a normal world and watching the normal people react to that. Uh, I think that's a, I think that's a keen insight. Superman is less super if there's nobody there to say, look up in the sky. Ooh, I, it, that's, a, that's, that's Super, a nice little quote. If Superman's on Krypton, he's it's why Thor was very, very smart 
to get Thor to Earth as soon as possible, right? Yes. That was very, very smart. And you say Guardians, but Guardians is very, very smart to make the center of Guardians. The, Guardians the other way around, right? Is 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 a guy who's so average. It's oh, about an average yeah. guy, Normal guy in a in bizarre a world. world. Yeah. yeah. And that's it's, it's very smart that way. This is, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, like if you say what are moments that work, um, the, only, there, the moment where he's jumping around and kind of grabbing, like scaring the guy from up in the rafters was pretty good it was better in batman begins mm-hmm. but this precedes batman begins so the idea that the crow is above you and can get you from anywhere above you i found that to be an effective scene when i first saw it now i find mm-hmm. it to be a scene that's inferior to the scene the copy did um there was uh, there was one moment for me that jumped out that i was like oh that was kind of cool um it was when uh i think uh nemo the the second guy the the pervert um so he's in the uh you know he's in the in the the uh the, the, the porn booth. video store with the live yeah. girls and he's in the booth and he puts the first token in and the and the screen comes down and there's uh you know this cantically clad woman there who's you know who's playing around with him and there's that just uh, awkward creepy scene um but then the you know the time's up and so the booth uh uh visor scrolls back up again and uh, so then he's fumbling around for the token, and then and as soon as he was putting putting the second token in, I was like, oh, I I, I think I know what's happening here. Um, he puts the token in, and then the visor goes down, and instead of the scantily clad woman, it's the crow waiting for him. I was like, okay, that's that was neat. That was a neat little um, that was a cool moment. Uh, yeah, I did you did you find that was <laughs> that that was it? That was it. I think did, that was the that was the one. Did you find the injection of sex in this movie to just be creepy? And part B of that is, was it creepier still to know that this movie was pr- was produced by Harvey Weinstein? Um, I mean, the Weinstein aspect of it, no, just because this was, I mean, let's be honest, um, you know, rampant, you know, sexual objectification is, <laughs> it is not purely a Miramax thing during this time period. Uh, but I mean, it wasn't I didn't know, I mean, in the I, first like, Crow. It's... Um, I, I mean honestly the the uh you know what I appreciated actually if you're if you're really putting me to it um I appreciated the fact that that whole scene with the you know with the woman in the booth um I don't that was not film to be sexy uh that was I mean I was I was deeply creeped out by it and I think that was actually the point um so I, I don't disagree with you in that yes any sexuality that happens in this film is kind of creepy but most of that is because it it is the it is it is the the sexuality that comes from people in a down on their luck situation in a really really bad part of town that's ravaged by drugs like which is i mean creepy and awkward and just sad is probably a much better reflection of that that whole thing than oh this is you know kind of sad and they're down on their luck but it's still kind of titillating like was this the one I, was this the one that had the people in the moving all weird inside of the 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 paper things like did this have that like that almost like it's it's something out of oh uh, you know what like- yes it did it did and that was the and again i can't tell whether um i mean honestly, i can't tell whether they were trying to be sexy or whether it was trying to be creepy sexy you know what so okay i'm just cuz you know what so much of this movie reminded me of actually is uh the one of the best video games that came out of the uh the 90s uh was vampire the masquerade bloodlines um it was and let me tell you, if you if you want a world that captures that same sense of melancholic despair and passion uh, fused with heavy gothic elements.
performance that the crow offers than the role-playing game of Vampire the Masquerade, which was also an absolute cornerstone of the goth movement, is a way better reflection um, and is a much better version of that. And there are scenes in the video game of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines where it's like you enter this deconsecrated church that's been turned into this rave club and there's everyone dancing in all kind of weird ways and it and it really, really works. Um, and so I was watching the scenes in the film and I was like, oh, it's like this thing in the video game that I played. But again, maybe it's the Uncanny Valley effect in a video game, especially in a video game with 90s graphics, which are still 3D, but uh, not, you know, but not incredibly well rendered. Uh, it worked. Whereas, yeah, I mean, in this one, it was just kind of icky. Yeah, there was a lot of icky in this film. Um, let's go through our cast real quick. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Let's start up. Let's start off. Uh, the Deftones were in it. Uh, let's kind of work our way up. Uh, Nemo was played by was played by Thomas Jane, who eventually was the Punisher, which is which is always sort of fun. Um, uh, Iggy Pop as Curve um, is one of those guys that he seems really good when you look at him and then he talks. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, terrible. I mean, my God, what a, what a phenomenal look, though. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's scary. Um, uh, we have uh, the Yellow Ranger, the original Yellow Ranger, uh, uh, Troy Trang as Callie. Also mm-hmm. terrible. I hate to spill it ill of her because, of course, she tragically died in a car accident really, fa- really soon after this. Um, but equally terrible. Agreed. Yes. All right. So let's go through. Uh, we have Richard Brooks as Judah Earl, not to be mistaken for Richard Brooks as Juba Early from Fire. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I, it makes me suddenly wonder: was that deliberate? Though I'll, I'll let like, you. Descri- I'll, I'll let you explain it because that was a brilliant realization. Well, I was watching this guy, so evidently this guy's been on another show that I've never seen because it doesn't have superheroes. Um. Uh. But but this guy to me is you know if you see Serenity, if that's all you saw. Uh, the operative is sort of based on a different character who appears in um, who appears in an episode of Firefly. Um, what a lot of people say is the is the best episode of Firefly as Juba Early, um, who has my favorite line in all of Firefly, which is, "Are you a lion? Am I a lion? Well, I never considered myself to be a lion, but you could call me a lion, for I have a mighty roar." No, no, I said, "Are you a lion?" Oh, oh, that's weird. Oh. <laughs> And that's, that's like, like he's so memorable in that role. And the minute mm-hmm. they were calling Judah in this, I was like, am I mistaken? Like, am I mixing up? Was he called something else? No, he is Juba Early as opposed to this where he's Judah Earl. Juba Early is a, is an actual character. is an actual person. It's a historical figure in the Civil War. Oh, is it? Is there's actually, there's an actually Jubel Early. Yes. Um, but here as Judah Earl, um, uh, I, he didn't suck. I, he was fine. I get what he's going for. Yeah. I get what he's going for. Um, sort of the, the I'm gentle, but I could kill you. They, um, mm-hmm. he's just not in that the crow is also sort of a kinder, gentler crow as well. He, this is a crow who, you know, kisses people before they go away and cuddles them and sends them out gently. And now you have the, it's, I don't know. It's, I don't know that this is a, a choice that works, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's because his talent is bad. He does this. It's sort of, he works really, really well um, doing this exact same kind of thing as, as Jubal early. Um, but as Judah Earl, it doesn't work for me at all. And I think that's a huge thing. People go that The Crow was Brandon Lee's movie. And I think that Michael Wincott um, yeah. was such a part of that. As just mm-hmm. a, this guy is the most despicable thing that ever lived. He's eating people's eyes and smoking them. Like, that's, yeah. like, 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 I mean, because this guy yeah, does. Really, the Crow had, yeah, The Crow had two major characters that were larger than life. And they happened to be the protagonist and the antagonist. And that's exactly what you want. Um, yeah. And this, they, they are both. 
weirdly gentle people, which mm-hmm. I don't know if that works. That's um, true. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the the thugs in general as a group. Lackluster, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Like the and their deaths also. Like, I mean, he like he's leaving little crow messages that are not as cool. Like there's like it, I, I feel like we're saying the same thing. I I don't want to get too repetitive, but like the, the in the first one you had Brandon Lee, who's a martial artist, and there's gunplay and there's flips and there's explosions mm-hmm. and there's motorcycle chases, whereas the motorcycle on this is clearly just somebody stuck a motorcycle on a green screen. That seemed like it was in a place. This seems like clearly they like built a wall and like there's just like kind of smoke in the background. Um, now, here's an interesting thought that you're because th- this is all just making me think like I cannot say that this movie is like they said, OK, take the first movie, just do it with half the budget, but make it exactly like the first film. I can't say that it's like that because it is that it is 100 percent do the first film, but do it with half the budget. And so my question from that then suddenly makes me wonder, OK, what if this were the first one and then and The Crow with Brandon Lee was the second. Because one of the most important things about a sequel is, look, you don't need to necessarily be different, but man, do you have to build on the first one. It's got to be somehow more than what the first thing was. And The First Crow is infinitely more than what this one was. But if you watched this one first and had the introduction of this cool, you know, apocalyptic gothic sort of thing with, uh, you know, with all the, hmm. you know, this urban decay and these weird characters and things like that, would this would then watching Brandon Lee's Crow with more interesting characters, um, you know, more thematic, uh, more thematic kills, uh, better, you know, better fights and everything. Would that have somehow like, ironically, the first Crow would have been a better sequel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so the question is, is this one better if it's not in the shadow of the first Crow? Because, um, then, because is... then you have the advantage of it being something new, at least. So it's like, if the so first if Crow the, hadn't if... come out, this would have been interesting just for its newness. Yeah. Because of the story of the crow and then the second mm-hmm. one would be okay we're giving you the same story but this time we're making it even cooler and better that were yeah. this would be the star wars and that would be the empire strikes back where they finally kind of figured out what they were doing um mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that that might work except for the end of this film which is so bad that mm-hmm. you know it's terrible special effects terrible i don't even know what happens at the end of the film i guess a yeah. bunch of crows show up and and make him fade away but he's still screaming i don't know i like can't even do. tell you what yeah. happened and i don't know sarah lives but then she also dies but is she with him as the crow i've no i cannot tell you what happens at the end of this film mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. it's the, there is not an ending um that makes sense um so so yeah um let's talk about sarah real quick mia kirshner is sarah um i like mia kirshner i've seen her in things throughout the years yeah well, um, she, i mean I, I will say her eyes i could lose myself in completely she had a substantial she role had... on, a, on, on a show called the l word um she is currently on star trek discovery as um as spock's mom oh cool. as a man as 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 amanda wife of sarek um mm-hmm. so so i like her i've always found her to be interesting and interesting looking um i think she was in a mission possible movie really quick uh a while back um i like her i think she's probably my favorite character in the film but i don't know if it's because i am i'm crushing on her or not <laughs> well i mean and to, but there's something to that in the sense that it's like there's a difference between crushing on a character because it's like oh my god look at that body and they're and crushing on somebody because it's just like there is something about your essence that i am drawn to yeah and, and i think it's the latter and i there the there is there is something about sarah's essence that i'm 100 drawn to um and i think that is entirely and that has nothing to do with the sarah that's on the page and entirely to do with whatever it is whatever the je ne sais quoi is that mia kirshner brings to the table so my hat is off to her for that even if it's not even acting choices even if that's just who she is then who she is 
has that certain something. Um, okay, let's talk about Vincent Perez as Ash Corbin, uh, the crow. I said French. Um, he is he is not French. Uh, Racist. He is I know it's it's although he's played Sereno. Uh, no, he is French. I'm right. He is French. Yes, I'm looking at his other films: Sereno de Bergerac, Le Bessou, La Reine Margot, and Indochine. Yes, okay, this guy this guy is French. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, was he cast simply because he is like a facial doppelganger for for Brandon Lee? I don't know, but man, sp- there's so- in, in the see- in the makeup there there are shots where his face is clearly it's like the same bone structure, the same eyes, the same. Mm-hmm. And once he's got the makeup on, he looks like Brandon Lee with feathered hair. But he looks like mm-hmm. Brandon Lee. Was it too because there wasn't the internet back then? Do you think it was so people would kind of be fooled to go, "Hey, it's kind of the same guy." Oh, that's like a in thought. the trailers. I mean, maybe the I I will say it's like, look, I have no problem with I have absolutely no problem with casting people for whom English is a second language um, in American films. I mean, sure, look, look at Cassian in Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. Like, look at look yeah. at what so look at what and, and even people who have a thick dialect, like look at what Sofia Vergara is able to do. She is she lights up the screen every time she's doing something and. Um, but it's for, for Vincent Perez, I just couldn't help but feel it was interesting. And Jean-Claude Van Damme is kind of like in this category too. It's just like the, the language barrier actually gets in, instead of adding to his character actually gets in the way of it. Um, I didn't like, there was, it just, the, the acting seemed way over the top and heavy handed. And, um, I mean, there was what the, the, the thing that you mentioned before about like, you know, his weird son, Danny, who's like, look, dad, I drew the son and the two, and look at these two people. And first, no father sees a son or no father has a son draw a pic no no single father has a son draw a picture that has a big person and a little person holding hands and then say so who's the two people in it like i granted i don't have kids i, I can't imagine that if my kid no, came I, to I, me I can back you up there. Some, i can back you up yeah up. <laughs> okay yeah thank you thank you for that but not only did he ask the question who are the two people but his line delivery is like so who are the two people like it's it yeah, was like it, i was like whoa harsh dude and i'm yeah, sure it, that was it, not his intent in his delivery it was just how it came out you know i think it makes me realize what we had in brandon lee and what it like i think brandon uh, lee yeah. would have been brandon lee would have been the rock before there was the rock like that i remember I when i just, first saw yes i, w- I would get 100 behind that idea i remember when i first saw the rundown which is the rock's first movie what got me about it is that that he was doing the big action stuff but he was funny and he was charming he was really oh, well spoken and he so like good. and 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 we were so used to schwarzenegger and stallone who are like we're just thugs, or like, or or um, or Bruce Willis, who's just cocky all the time. He just kind of gave you this one thing. Um, mm-hmm. and now you had a guy who just he seemed like a guy who happens to be in this monstrously capable body. And yeah. the same thing with it with Brandon Lee as a martial art artist. Um, and if you go back and watch Rapid Fire, which is amazing, it's a really fun movie. Um, you get mm-hmm. the same the the same thought from this guy that this guy is 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 charming and funny, self deprecating. Like if you about if you think about when when all the line because there are a lot of jokes in the crow and and when when Officer Albright looks at him and goes, "You're dead, man. You're dead." And just looks at him and goes, "You still have your hat on." Like I can't mm-hmm. imagine Vincent Perez goes, "Yeah, you still have your hat on. You still have your hat on." <laughs> like like or like I love yeah, it. Like yeah, I'm Michael the, Bean a little bit. In, in or in yeah. the first film when he was when uh, when the crow comes to visit. Uh, the the officer like in his house and he's just like you know you could take the stairs that no he's gone out the window okay that's like yeah. there was yeah the, the, I will say yeah the first the first film is made better even in my eyes by this film yeah this is 
Um, it's. I hate to say this. I mean, let's just let's just call it out. We'll continue the conversation next week. But um, on a scale of one to five, digitally rendered crows picking your body apart, but you can still scream afterward. What would you rate the Crow City of Angels? Um, I would rate this. All right, now you know my normal rating system is okay. Five is a film that is not just great, but is also you know done something you know truly groundbreaking and is wonderful you know for the industry. It, like a um a four is for a film that is either really great or has done something groundbreaking. A three is for a film that I, if I saw it in the theater, I'd walk out and be like, eh, I didn't waste my money. Um, a two is for a film that I walk out and I was just like, I could have spent my money on something better than that. Um, but to get be- normally to get below a two, the film needs to be not just bad, but like immoral in the sense that the world is legitimately a better, a, a worse place for this film having been made. I think the only review I've given so far for um, that that's gotten below a two was Kick-Ass 2, which I think I gave a 1.5 to because not only were there, you know, not only was it a great fit, was it not a great film, but it just, the message that it sent was so toxic to me. Um, there is nothing immoral about The Crow 2. Um, or certainly, if you if you found nothing immoral about the first Crow, you yeah, wouldn't I was about find to say, about The Crow. That, this is, yeah, that, this film there, is There's harmless. a world where this is awful, but yeah. Yeah, th- this film is harmlessly bad. It's harmlessly bad, but it's really bad. Um, so I, this, so I'm giving it with no ill intent. I'm giving this film a 1.5. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I'm tempted almost to give it a two because it is a crow film, and I do like the crow. I do only fair. Like, That's fair. I do like the story of of somebody who comes back seeking righteous revenge. Um, but you know, the first movie, despite you know its problematic treatment of women and specifically how it how it uses rape as a rape and fridging as a as a way to to motivate a male character and my problems with that um uh <laughs> ironically this film might actually be less problematic than the first one yeah it, well it it's it it's less yeah it is um i mean it's i guess child murder is not an awesome thing you know no like, that's I, true yeah <laughs> i'm looking looking having a kid like going daddy please daddy please and going i'm so sorry i'm sorry please don't take him then you shoot that kid point blank in the face yeah. like, well i mean you know from us we're not living in a society where if you gave a survey to sure you know if you gave a survey that said when is it okay to kill a kid 30 percent of the people would say well okay in these extenuating circumstances it would be okay so yeah, so i mean it's I, ironically uh, enough child murder while terrible is not terrible in the same way yeah um i i would i would say that 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 i can't do it though um i'm not going to give it a one because we have next week to talk about um okay okay uh, oh i I cannot (laughs) wait um but uh it's it is trying to do a thing everything every choice that it makes because it makes choices and that's going to be my problem with the next one this makes lots of choices canceling like it's a strong choice to cast vincent perez strongly bad Mm -hmm. it's a strong choice to Mm -hmm. make it all day of the dead all the time strongly it's a strong choice to make them both the good and the bad guy mere reflections of odd gentleness of one another but it's a bad choice um strong choice to cast iggy pop but it's a bad choice so Mm. i will applaud the film for trying so many different things that are bad um but they are all they are all bad they're all bad choices Mm. much like a a, a, much like a country buffet um or a golden corral (laughs) where 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 which will not exist anymore there are will not exist anymore oh my god none of them none of the choices are good this is not it is not the coronavirus of crow films but it is uh it's (laughs) such a 
step down. So, so, which way I suppose would be called the coronavirus. The coronavirus. <laughs> Very nice. Um. So yeah, one point five. Next week, uh, we get to talk about uh about Crow three, Crow four, and um and what to do with franchises like these. But for now, my name is Justin, and my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Light Entertainment. 